Hi, welcome to By Being Be Right Back podcast. I'm Giona. I am Ava. And we know each other from way back when, when we were in our early threes, up to the thirteens, and now in our almost thirties. We both have been living in the Netherlands for almost 10 years and we both have been missing the conversation of what it means to be Caribbean in the Netherlands. We too deserve representation within the community we live in and we have responsibility to also give space for those who have this need to feel represented. These conversations are a good start at that, but certainly not the last step. For us, it's the bibing culture that struck a chord. As Caribbean migrants, we have a strong legacy of coming and going, making a home everywhere, seeking for familiarity within the community we constantly place ourselves in. But still, we find ourselves coming back to our roots, to our home, and realize that coming from the Caribbean is a meaning that is an ongoing process. We tried to find the closest translation to by being, and we agreed that Be Right Back was the best choice. In this podcast, we go on a journey with different guests to find out what this means for them while also looking at the different experiences within migrating back and forth from this area. It's a podcast on the culture of being from and going back and forth to the Caribbean. Both Guiana and I are from Aruba. Both our experiences are with coming and going back and forth, as it has given us the privilege to not only have a home in Aruba, but also being able to build a home in the Netherlands. However, our experiences with the whole situation is very complex, and so we find it important and essential to learn from our other Caribbean islands what their experience was. In this episode, we have that conversation with Jorge Kofi and Caitlin Schaap, and we talk about the move or bang move. So, what does it mean for all of us to be from the Caribbean? The root of the word Caribbean. The word Caribbean is one that we will be hearing a lot during our conversations. For many of us, it may be the only word to describe our connectedness with that part of the world. Maybe born on one or a specific island, but having roots in neighboring islands. The notion of home and belonging are complex and heavily colonized or colonially rooted as well. Identifying as being Caribbean is therefore something that can remind you of something beautiful but also leaves a lot of questions behind. For the inhabitants of this area, it often means being descendants of the oppressors and the oppressed. It means living in countries that live by the systems of the former colonizers and current dominant powers, often residing in Europe or the United States, and having little to no knowledge on indigenous practices, culture or cultures that aren't wholly European. In this globalized world, the line is thin and the search is ongoing. Speaking of indigenous remembrance, the word Caribbean is also colonially rooted, first used by the notorious Christopher Columbus to identify the people, the Aborigines of the Caribbean. These native people were for the most part brutally killed by force or European sickness and or transported to neighboring islands. The indigenous people still live in relatively smaller populations within the contemporary Caribbean. Hi everyone, thank you for listening to this first episode of Be Right Back or By Being podcast. Like we already mentioned in the intro, I am Guillaume and my co-host Eva is also joining us. Today we are talking with our guests Jorge Kofi and Caitlin Schaap on our first episode of The Move or 
Bangmove, and then thus being able to go to the university. So the whole context of me as a person, I felt was tied, or as a woman as well, was tied to me being smart academically, so to speak. My surroundings, seeing uh, the value of that, which is something positive, obviously, but also seeing and talking about that uh, diploma of the Netherlands was the only valuable thing or the next valuable thing in my life to attain. So it was kind of always um, this preconceived notion that no one talked about that got me to the Netherlands and to study. And I see it as a coloniality and I see it as a, a, a form of day-to-day -day unconscious colonialities that we project upon others or our students or our kids that value creation, information exchange is actually the way I perceive it, very much linked to what you can do, but not specifically for your island or where you come from, but you need to get that in Europe or you need to get that in the Netherlands. And that is something we will be focusing on more maybe in this episode, but the coming episodes is something that why I ended up in the Netherlands and I've been there for the last uh, 10 years. Yeah, so that, that, that is for me the, the case. And Ava, what, it, what is it for you? How did you end up in the Netherlands? Well, um, well, for me, it's very different. Uh, I totally understand where you come from. There are many points that I can definitely relate to, especially when you talk about the unspoken way that certain information is passed on very often to the point where it's internalized into your minds and into your body. Um, I'm a dancer. So when I knew that I wanted to dance and I wanted to dance professionally, I knew that that wasn't going to be possible on Aruba because Aruba doesn't have any uh, further professional development within the arts, at least in the dance scenario. So I knew already that I had to go to Holland because United States was not an option because financial, financially, that's for, for some, it's almost impossible. So going to the Netherlands was another option. And I knew that that also meant that I was going to be studying within a system. Um, so for me, that was already a certain preparation that you go through, a mental preparation. Because at some point when I was already 16, I was already being asked, what are you gonna do? When are you gonna go? And what do you plan on doing? And these kind of questions are always questions that haunt you at one point. So I found myself either way, even though I wanted to stay as much as I could, I knew that I couldn't develop further. So I found myself moving to the Netherlands, auditioning, getting accepted at an academy and studying at, uh, in Amsterdam. So for me, it was a certain artistic and personal need to develop, but as well as that I knew that if I didn't go to the Netherlands, I probably wouldn't be able to go anywhere else. So I was tied already to that bond that if I don't go to the Netherlands, because there's a chance there for me, I probably wouldn't be able to do it at all. So it was kind of put and said that I had to go and that was my option. For the people listening at home and our guests today is that what I also hear is this thing where you need to go outside of the island or the place you grew up in um, because the infrastructure can carry your dreams further or the things that you want to achieve in your life. So it's not only this value creation that I'm viewing it from my side, but it's also the opportunities are literally 
created oftentimes um, the root of it in specific types of infrastructures that are found in the Netherlands, that are found like places like a code arts, for example, I'm just stating an example. Um, but I think it's also important to never forget that those infrastructures are always tied to a specific way of thinking as well. The fact that we need to go so-called away from where we grew up to be able to sustain ourselves financially uh, if we want to live our dreams or even get a chance to live our dreams. Um, that is something that came to mind when you said that as well. Definitely that, but it's more as well that everything you, you would want to create, projects that you would want to um, manage or studying, even, you know, you're still dependent on that colonial dynamic with the Netherlands. So even on a micro level, such as this one, they still have that dominant power. So financially, we have been and are still dependent on a bigger pocket, you know, which eventually will lead me to such a great debt for coming here. And I think going back to Aruba or in general, it may even lead me, possibly lead me to like a financial suicide. I'll always have to be paying back, you know, I'll always be bonded to that. And that's how I tend to see it this way as well. So enough to talk about. And um, next up, now that Ava and I have talked a little bit about this, about our perspectives, about our points of view, departure points, we want to ask our guests. Um, I want to ask to begin with Jorge. Maybe you can state your name fully, your age, what you do and what home means to you. So I am Jorge Kofi. I am 31 years old, currently a foster father of five, almost six kids. I studied at the Art Academy, so I guess I got to call myself an artist. That's, uh, that's who I am. Well, home for me, that is so interesting. I always felt that home is where my mom and my father would be, well, basically my family with my sisters. But now as I get older, I still, I get sometimes, I caught myself thinking about distant places and memories that I now recall like, oh, I wish I was there because I had that home feeling there in that moment and that time. And it's not always Curacao. Uh, it is sometimes the Dominican Republic because I was born there. It is sometimes also Venezuela because I went many times to Venezuela. So it was like my second, third home. So there are many, many places and many moments in my life where I go back in my mind to find that feeling of home. Yeah, uh, thank you for your beautiful introduction, uh, all the three of you. It was already very, uh, opens up a lot, lot of things to think about already. I'm Caitlin, I'm 31, singer. I also, I don't know why I put a question mark at the end, <laughs> auditively. But uh, yeah, I think because I relate to Jorge, because you say you did Art Academy, and I'm graduating now from the conservatory. So it's, uh, no, I am a singer, but I'm trying to understand what that means still. But I definitely love to sing. And my home, I think it was beautifully said by Jorge already, like space and time play a large role in what home means or is. 
but the only thing they have in common is is that you you are located there. And then I'm Kalinya, and in Kalinya you don't ask where is your home. You ask where do you see the sun rise and fall. I try to relate to that when it comes to where do you feel at home, but I don't always succeed. <laughs> I think it changes, but I think that is I think a lot of people have that that grew up in a certain place, then moved at a certain age and moved around uh, to different part, parts of the world. So it's even more than binary, I think. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I feel very much at home in the Amazon with my family there. I feel very much at home at Rotterdam in uh, in the Netherlands. And there are sometimes places that I long to that I visited in my life. We wanted to bring up um, to get the conversation dynamic going between all of us is so we kind of already touched upon that but specifically for you Jorge and then after uh, words Caitlin you can answer this question is uh, what brought you to the Netherlands so what was that dynamic coming from the Caribbean uh, maybe inter the in the inter island wise or inter space wise if I could give it a name and then moving to Europe or the Netherlands. What what brought you here? Jorge, you want to go first and answer that? Yeah, well, there are so many layers to this question. First of all, when I discovered my sexuality, that I was queer at a very young age, I think I was around five or six. Since then, I knew that, or I had a feeling that uh, back then I would have trouble uh, staying on the island and feeling comfortable being who I am. So that was kind of the starting point of, from that age. How do I form a path in my life uh, where I know that I'll end up somewhere where I can live without hiding who I am, without feeling embarrassed and preferably back then as a teenager, of course, very afraid of my parents finding out about my sexuality. It was for me, one of the motives to like move from uh, Curacao was so that I could just be as far as possible from my parents, which is so bad. But that was what I thought was, was necessary to also start to find out who I really am outside of that environment. Besides that, um, a lot of what uh, Fiona and Ava already said also resonates a lot with my situation. The infrastructure, the system in Curacao, it, from I, I think primary school and then uh, middle school, it was always, the path was already predetermined so that you could follow the steps like a ladder, almost like there's only one way and one way of thinking that you would have to fly, catch a plane uh, and go with the Bersale and go to the Netherlands because it was all, it was almost like a show that you wanted to be part of because otherwise you're different or you didn't make it or you were left behind. Bersalen. In this episode, you will be hearing our guest Jorge Coffey speak of the term Bersalen. And we would like to explain what this means. The word bursalen is what the educational system calls the group of students who receive a burs, which is Dutch for scholarship, to study abroad in the Netherlands. This scholarship is provided differently on each island. In the case of Aruba, it's provided by Aruba House. However, in truth, it's a financial trap. A scholarship is usually sponsored, meaning you would not have to pay it back. In our case, we have to pay every single cent back. 
and with a very high rent. In the case of most ABC students, because we have passport privileges, in other words, because we were colonized in the past and have a Dutch nationality, we can register to receive financial support from DUO, Dienst Uitvoering Onderwijs, in the Netherlands. Because the amount of money we receive from Aruba House monthly is so little, you are actually left with no choice but to also request financial support from DUO. This, of course, differs per student and their situation. The money we receive helps us with paying college tuition and our monthly costs as students. Another factor of passport privilege is also that financially, studying outside of the Netherlands is not a luxury that everyone can afford. Furthermore, Bursalen receive workshops provided by their educational institutes on how to integrate within the Dutch society when moving to the Netherlands. But in practice, the workshops don't prepare you for the real life that awaits you here. Our guest Jorge Coffey will lightly touch upon this as well. And the funny thing is, uh, I remember, especially getting to like the 16 and 17 years old, I was like, I was seeing a bunch of other possibilities. I discovered that really truly was passionate about was becoming an artist and I wanted to go to an art school. I presented the idea to my parents because the art school was in Miami, Florida. Because of financial difficulties, it wasn't really, yeah, it wasn't really made possible. My parents just said, yeah, we, we couldn't do that. We could not uh, afford that right now. So that really crushed that dream at that time. And the only thing that was made clear, a very sure path is for you to continue your dream, which they thought was my dream, was to uh, study architecture. So um, it was very much my parents' idea was like, okay, yeah, do what the rest is doing, go to the Netherlands, become an architect. And after that, you can become an artist, you can do whatever you want, at least we know that you have that diploma that is verified as like you succeeded in life because you became an architect. Those two were like the big main reasons why I moved from Curacao to the Netherlands. One of the most important reasons people migrate within the Caribbean and towards the USA or Europe is socioeconomic driven. Because of the colonial dynamics, thus power dynamics and hierarchies that are still apparent up until this day, these flows of people going back and forth still move according to these old types of colonial apparatus higher wages elsewhere, lack of work in the vicinity of where they live, and a need to provide for our families pressure people to oftentimes leave their families behind, pursuing cheap labor elsewhere, sometimes leading to human trafficking, having no safety regulations, differently legal conditions, and just general inhumane conditions oftentimes. Thank you, Jorge, for sharing that with us. Caitlin, do you want to share with us what brought you to the Netherlands? Definitely, but I also have a question for Jorge, can I? Yeah, uh, I was wondering, like, what, what, but you said you graduated from art school, right? So you didn't study architecture. Yeah, so that's the thing. When you leave the nest, you go out in the world and you try, because I tried, I tried very hard to make it work because I didn't want to disappoint my parents. And it felt, it wasn't just my parents, it was almost like I didn't want to disappoint the whole island because I moved and there's so much of like, okay, you're going and you're coming back to like bring back the things that you learned, mm. come back and like use it here. So I was like, let's try to make this work. Eventually, I think after 
seven months, I wasn't able to wake up and go to school in the morning because it was either that, either wake up and, and sit in the same subway and go to school and not feeling, feeling miserable, feeling so out of place, even though it was going well at school. So then I decided, I talked to the, to the coach I had at, at that time and I talked to what I was feeling. I told them about my ideas about the art school. I told them about my fears, about telling my parents with the help uh, of my partner, we decided that, yeah, we're, we're gonna do this together and we're gonna confront confront my parents and tell them that I was going to stop architecture and join and start at the art, art academy. So after all, I did do what I wanted to do when I was 15 years old, which just went a whole lot of uh, detours and, and just trying to make others I guess, happy. In the end, it was very much just, I see it as part of my path and, and learning who I am because, because of that, I knew that I could have a better communication with my parents about who I was and who I, what I wanted to be. So if it wasn't because of that, we wouldn't have the relationship that we have now. Can I add one more thing yes. to, to that? So, but at, I think the motivation, Jorge, as you said, that you had the feeling you had to succeed for the whole island. I think with adoption, like there are similarities, like in there, there are also certain motives within the village or within the family that are similar to that, which is, and not exclusively, because it's like giving a child up for adoption is very different than a child choosing a certain school path or, or academic career after high school, but it's based, rooted in the same principle that you want your child to succeed in a certain way that you think adds value to their life, or the family's life, to the village life, to the islands its life. And yeah, it can come about a certain form of, of status, I think. Um, and they can join in successfully into this capitalistic system. So I think the motivations are rooted in the same ideology. How is the dynamic between what you see as your home or your other or the other places that you've lived in and how do you deal with these complexities within yourself and your community i don't know if maybe jorge wants to go first well there's speaking as from like someone that was born in the dominican republic and growing up uh, in curacao with those dynamics of those two different islands in one household combining with what you get from school and people around you and kind of link it to the idea of like you have to move out from what is homebound to the Netherlands there was a lot of trying to find a place for every part of it in within me it wasn't always easy because my Dominican side of the family, for example, was very much, well, they were there. They were very visible in the upbringing and, and in the way of life that we had. But at the same time, I was not living in the Dominican Republic. So there was a lot that for me was clashing with what was happening outside the doors and at school. For example, just the fact that when you're at school and you speak Dutch and when you're at home, it's only or Spanish or Pavimento. It brought us to the point where my mom would, for example, prohibit us to speak Spanish to her. Speaking four different languages in the same sentence, merging different languages into a new language, generally that's not something people in different parts of the Caribbean deem special. This is just day-to-day -day life, 
sometimes complex, nonetheless, day-to-day life. Having all of these different cultures together in the same space leads to this almost natural way of making new forms. This is what is called creolization. I say almost natural, because in this merging there is often a dominant language group, with the language of the former colonizer oftentimes being that dominant one. Another way we see these day-to-day hierarchies is when the mother tongue, so to speak, gets cancelled, in many formal but also informal spaces. The dominant language is often being that of the historical settlers. In the dominant spaces like in education or in a courtroom or reading official uh, reports, that these dominant languages are the ones we need to know. In informal spaces, we see it back as when our parents oftentimes tell us to speak these dominant languages because that is the only way we so-called get ahead socioeconomically oftentimes. For example, in Aruba we speak papiamento, but Dutch is the language we need to know for formal reports oftentimes, also in our education system and at a court of law. But in reality there is, for example, also a large Spanish-speaking population on the island. Nonetheless, it's uh, very complex, but not being able to speak Dutch in Aruba, for example, can oftentimes lead to exclusion in different parts of society. And that is not something that is only seen on the island where Ava and I are from. This is seen throughout the Caribbean. That we would have actually have to speak or papamento even though she would answer back in Spanish. Uh, we were not allowed to speak Spanish to her because she felt that that side was maybe taking over uh, what should be my path to going eventually to the Netherlands. So I, I tried to find home, like I, I tried to answer the very first question you asked, like what is home? I tried to find that, I tried to carry that with me. So. It, it's always there. And that directly touches upon like in society, it's like, okay, home is a fixed place, like your the place you grow up, like your childhood house, or like it's a, a very solid concept that you can pinpoint very directly. Uh, but I, I don't really experience it as such. So it's still, I think something I'm genuinely searching for, like what would that be? Or maybe I need to shift the concept of home being a place where you feel completely at ease and comfortable and at peace. So it directly deals with the second part of your question. How do you inter- interact with the complicity within yourself, a complexity within yourself in relation to the community I think you feel part of? So how I deal with the complexity within myself is trying not to perceive it as such because we make fragments of everything, especially nowadays with we put everything in in parts we try to cut it especially with social media we we cut parts out of our life that we share and then leave other parts out because they belong to different occasions or different conversations with different people so i try not to experience myself as a complex being but as a whole being which is practice and then in relation to the community that i that i live in that i'm confronted with the most uh, the context of the netherlands and of the city i live in so actually that comes down to answer your whole question trying to find the sense of home within myself and navigate through all those longings, wishes, questions of this fragmented society, acknowledge that they are there, and at the same time, 
try to be okay with checking out of it every now and then. So, um, for example, not on Facebook. Don't always want to feel the force to respond to every message at at the given second that it pops into my phone or et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that is basically how I navigate through that now. Wow, I want to thank the both of you for such beautiful responses, truly. And I want to navigate through these answers simply because I'm I'm looking at Guiana because I think you also feel the same. <laughs> you know, I'm going to try to answer both of you a, a little bit separately. Let's see if I can uh, try to link back a little bit. Because Jorge, when I hear you talk and I hear uh, the response that you had to the question, I think it's indeed a thing about finding a place. We're constantly trying to find a place where we, we feel the most at home, which brings actually the question of the concept of home. What is that actually? And the moment that you said that you weren't allowed to speak Spanish anymore because you were actually being shaped and groomed into, you know, the bigger picture, what, you know, in this case, what our family might think that that may be best for us. There's always that gap between trying to understand where the generations before us come from and why they think this way. Why is the necessity to push that sense of trying to be upon, you know, your children in this case? So I was very much perplexed by by what you said, you know, because it brings so many other questions forward. And if I think about Caitlin and what you just said about trying not to perceive yourself as a complexity because you're actually indeed cut into parts, it's kind of like when you say that you are whole perfect and complete, but you're not finished yet because that keeps developing within time as you go on with your life and as you get older and the more places you tend to go to and visit and the books that you read and the people that you surround yourself with at that very moment is indeed also a feeling of home. So I'm very like, you know, all of these emotions that now come up, I, I'm looking at Kiana. I don't know if you want to add something to this because these responses are bringing me a bit, uh, whew, a lot of things come up because I think home for us is indeed something that's ever being. It's simply becoming. Um, there is no one or the other. It is indeed Indeed, a feeling, a place that you've been to, a place that you've created on the inside or somewhere on the outside. Indeed, the, the concept of how complex we can be within the complexity of what we call home. Those are uh, the, the, the bigger questions, I think, that right now come up if I talk well for, for this bit of the part. Yeah, thank you, Eva. Um, like so many thoughts, so many questions. I feel honestly seen by the perspectives that have been shared. Being a migrant myself, from, I was born in Aruba, but my family is from Suriname. And my family in Suriname is also partially Indonesian by indentured laborers coming to the country. My, my great-grandparents from my mom. And my dad is mixed black, white, Jewish, everything. So my body, I've always experienced it, even when I couldn't talk about it as a colonial product, to word it very uh, specifically, because that's how I felt. These fragmented parts within me tell the stories of the people before me in a very specific way. And these narratives, these stories were not ones that I saw growing up outside of my family, even within my family. I don't think we had many conversations on why I have a Dutch last name, why that is colonial, how that came to be, why I look the way I do. Yes, my mom is Indonesian and my dad is, like you would say, Creoles. But what is the story behind that? And the missing of the narratives that shape us as humans, our bodies, the way we look, the way we speak, the way we think, and always feeling indeed fragmented, but seeing that as something, a search, a constant search, also because being a third culture 
culture kid, as they would call it in psychology, growing up and being born on an island that wasn't the place where my parents were born and grew up as well. That brought up a lot of confusion, point blank. It brought up a lot of confusion because I remember as a three-year-old kid in Kleuter, uh, where Ava and I went together in kindergarten, people would ask me like, where are you from? And I would look at them like, but I was born here. So why are you asking me that question? The lack of knowledge on the parallel narratives and stories that inhibit all of our bodies, our islands, our countries, and the painful part that was never discussed, which is the colonial gaze, the colonial institution, the colonial narrative that we are still living to this day, but also the effect it had on our bodies and the bodies of our ancestors and our parents and our great-grandparents and modes of survival that we think about or actually not think about. I When both of you were talking, you you gave me so many, like uh, like they would say, that's kadoches, presents, things I could really like feel like, okay, I'm not alone in that, even if the context is very different, but I am not alone in that. And um, the people who are in the face of adversity are most of the time like people like us who are so resilient and go along every day and look at life and just live it in the way that we need to shape it into to become like calm and just live life the way we want to and find answers for ourselves because the society and the institutions around us don't do that because of the lack of multiplicitness in narratives. And I want to thank you both for, and also Ava, obviously, in sharing these perspectives, because I think the first time that I switched in, in my mind in that was last year when I was talking to psychologist Glenn Helberg, along with in a conversation with Project Jaspera. But this, especially what you said, Caitlin, really brought me even more into my body. And I really want to thank you for that. So that's beautiful. And I hope for everyone listening at home that <laughs> that you can feel that as well if you have similar how do you say that experiences. Katie, yeah. you want to say something? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, so interesting that you said that in psychology they call it a third culture kid. Yeah. You said that mm-hmm. um, because your your parents moved from Suriname, if, if I'm correct, from Suriname to Aruba, I think. Yeah. So you have this like dislocate, like when there's like this, this concept when you're dislocated, you're a person that is dislocated of, or out of location. And when that happens through trauma, because let's name something, there were a bunch of Europeans that kidnapped people from the West Coast of Africa and displaced them into another part of the world. Um, I think that longing and that sense of what home is or what that concept means, I think it's something maybe that we will change chase forever unless we break with that idea and create new fundaments for ourselves. Um, and therefore, like the response is great to say, uh, what do you mean I was born here? This is my fundament, this is my home, this is what I I'm rooted where I, where I will root myself in in order not to feel as dislocated throughout my life because I'm looking for that place. Okay, where do I belong then? So I think that was beautifully said. Thank you for that. Analogy or things of, uh, for example, as a Bursalan, you remember when you got onto the plane, but obviously if you were 
adopted when you were a little kid, you don't remember that like that. But maybe, Caitlin, after Jorge, you want to elaborate more on memories you had after that growing up in the Netherlands or anything you feel, obviously, you want to share on that. But let's begin with Jorge. Uh, Jorge, do you want to share like an anecdote or an analogy or memories, maybe two examples of what it was like to be moving to the Netherlands? Gosh, this actually feels like a cliffhanger. I ended up looking for a hotel room. Everything was uh, fully booked because they had Zoma Carnival in Rotterdam that that day, that weekend. So there was everything was filled. And then we walked up and down Rotterdam, like looking. We went everywhere. We even went to Maashaven, and even there. Long story short, I think around 10, 11 at night, we were able to find a small room where we could have stayed. We stayed there for, I think, that night. And then the following day, it was immediately, okay, how are we going to fix this? Because the room that we were, we were promised was just, it wasn't going to happen. So we decided to just crash at a friend's room, also a student room, where we had like the opportunity to stay there for two weeks until we could figure out what were the next steps and all I remember is that it was all like how you would imagine like coming here and your first night actually missing home not being feeling able to tell home what is happening because then I would hardly tell them about my sexuality and or worry them so that part was also on top of it uh, wow thank you for sharing your perspective on that and obviously this is not the least I want to say about this or the most sorry that I want to say about this because um, I'm kind of perplexed to be honest but um, I'm very grateful that you feel like sharing these things. Um, Caitlin do you want to share obviously like I said not the maybe you don't have the first uh, recall anymore but maybe memories or specific moments one or two examples in your life when you were in the Netherlands and how you relate to being maybe from the Caribbean as well and how you experience that here there was a house <laughs> uh, with uh, uh, yeah I can I can draw from the stories that I know in the pictures that I've seen um, so I was adopted with my two older brothers, so they have a visual, very clear memory of everything. So I've been talked through the story many, many times. And it was in December when we arrived, the day after St. Nicholas, 6th of December. Uh, it was snowing, apparently it was very cold. So it was the first time that my brothers experienced snow and cold. We got picked up by our Dutch family, and then we came came to the house with our with our parents. And our parents, we already knew for two weeks because they picked us up from Suriname. So they flew to Suriname, stayed there for two weeks, and then we came back with them to the Netherlands. And my oldest brother, he always had a KLM, which is the Dutch uh, airline service, like this little airplane that you can put on a little statue in your room. Uh, well, that, that's what he did. Um, and he would always like watch it because we he knew he was so conscious about what took him here. He was always very present. Uh, he always had that. We couldn't touch it. We, Me and my brother, we were younger than him. So we were always playing around. And when we came close to the, to the airplane, he was always like, no, don't touch it. And like, we were still like this little tribe <laughs> um, within our own family chilling in each other's space like all the time so that's I that's the most I remember like the 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 airplane actually from my brother that and he how he would keep on telling the story 
So thank you for that analogy. Um, fits well, I think, within this conversation. Indeed, we have another question, and I think Ava, you're the one who was gonna ask that one. Yes, um, I heard beautiful stories today. I heard very beautiful stories today. Um, as we are talking, of course, about the reasons behind moving, the reasons behind the big move, coming to the Netherlands, um, being raised within culture. It's also a way of moving. You shift from culture to the other, shifting from one lifestyle to the other, shifting from who you are and who you want to be when you're looking for your freedom and you move to another country seeking for it. And I think as well, indeed, how Guiana puts it, moving into that picture of migration and may possibly displacement and you come and go constantly from worlds to worlds. And we're actually just talking about moving as we go from memory to memory we speak of these memories and we are actually moving already you know you travel amongst these so we move together in that sense and i think it's a never-ending journey for us all as we are very familiar with that coming and going feeling of one world into the other and the question is are you still moving or do you want to settle somewhere i'm uh, looking at jorge maybe you want to start Um, yeah, uh, very good question. Um, I think that um, personally, I believe that you will always keep on moving uh, internally within the cultures, but also uh, just uh, who I am as a person. You enter with age, I believe, a new phase every time uh, you enter a different world where there are different expectations from you uh, at a certain age or as a certain person that you are. For example, right now that I asked the uh, foster dad, there are so many different uh, expectations for me, which made me move from who I was, for example, even last year. Um, but I like that it is possible to keep on moving. Like you said, it, it is within us. It is something that grew inside of us from the beginning, uh, forcibly or intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and I do wish to settle in something because I believe in um leaving something behind uh something that i i don't know who's gonna be there when i'm gone but i believe in leaving something behind where i know that it is easy to go to to find that moment or that place and be like yeah this was where this was where jorge was about in his life this is where he experienced this um because i don't know um it, it is hard for me for example to do that with both sides of my family from mother's side and father's side i feel like because they also moved so many times that they took everything with them constantly and if i now want to like visit any moment or, or a space specifically, it is not there. So I believe in, in selling down, not as in who I am, 
with settling down as in I want to have something to say, okay, this is where I made my nest. Uh, and it is a nest that anyone can keep continue visiting, even if I'm not there anymore. To settle. Um, you described so many ways where you can do it and how it eventually, once you do settle and you create that foundation of whatever place that you are at that moment, you can always return to it. And that comes back that aspect of home. Uh, you create that home feeling for yourself at that very moment that you move and you make something of it and shape it and create it and then you leave it but you can always visit it back um, it becomes like a base and that base can mean something else at that very moment in the time of your life um, it was very beautifully put thank you um, Caitlin the same question to you are you still moving or do you want to settle somewhere very good question I think because I was born in a different place than where I grew up, where those are the two places that I feel connected with the most, definitely. But because I, yeah, I cannot get in touch with, the, like, I cannot just be any moment that I want, revisit the place that I was born. To, it allows the whole world or to, to explore and not feel bounded or attached so deeply to one place. And I think that goes for everybody, but especially people that before they, like, felt they had the space to choose themselves, uh, because it because of societal pressure, because of family pressure, or other people made that decision for them, they they move. That also allows you to move to any other place, basically. After that, so at least that I think that that's how I experience it. So it gives a lot of freedom. So yeah, I'm still thinking where shall I move, and I'm not sure if there will ever come an answer, like a fixed answer, like Jorge says, like this is the place where people can return to, which is like a beautiful idea, I think. But yeah, at the same time, I always, as a child, I always had imagined like that could be several places and at least seven on every world part one. <laughs> that was my idea as a child. And actually that grew a little bit more, got a little bit more specific than it was when I was a child. But yeah, basically it's still the same idea that I think it would be great to have different places where I can feel at home. And therefore I can settle in different places and move around through them. Yeah, but hey, still dreaming over here. <laughs> Thank you, Caitlin. No, uh, I completely understand. I think there is indeed a certain, I think, freedom to still move and still discover the many things that we are, the many layers that are within us. And sometimes you have that, that it just happens automatically, that there's something about a place that calls you. And then it turns out that it's somewhere that you also can feel related to and create a home there too. And not feeling a certain attachment to being able to have to create a home somewhere. I totally feel that as well on another level, that there are many ways to do this and to keep exploring and discovering and finding yourself in many more ways than one so that was really beautiful i'm looking at guiana um but if there's anything that you would like to add otherwise we can move on to the second part yes no i think so many thought starters the things that i'm thinking about is like how happy i am to be talking uh interdependently with all of you in these different contexts that in a way started i guess in the caribbean for, for the most part and how i'm realizing i'm also thinking about like decoloniality and like decolonizing ourselves is something 
something that I've been thinking about a lot, but it means to me to be able to talk about jagged edges and, and things that hurt and, and things that are painful in our own spaces. And that's why own spaces are very important next to the fact for me specifically that we get to have these conversations like outside. We've always kind of been having these conversations in some way or another. Maybe in some instances, the, the conversations are way more open because we're talking to our peers, but in a different way when we're talking to our parents or grandparents, um, they share different parts of that puzzle piece that makes up this whole. And I'm really realizing that next to these conversations and the fact that moving to the Netherlands often also meant for me that I didn't want to talk about these things with people from the Netherlands, especially like white spaces and where the white narrative dominates a lot is because I felt like uh, not safe talking about these things because it's a vulnerable position to be in. Like being resilient and being people who can endure a lot of things also asks vulnerability within ourselves. But in these public spaces, oftentimes, and in the political climate that we live in, obviously, as we all can see at this moment that we are recording this podcast, um, there is no safe space. There is, There are generally not a lot of uh, public institutions where we can have these conversations very open and, and really ha- be able to learn with each other about these things. Welcome to the second segment called Treasures We Keep where we talk with our guests on the things they bring to the table related to home, be it a picture, sound, song, poem, aka treasure. A small segment for the second part of this conversation where we will be sharing small snippets of a poem, a song, anything that maybe you brought with you to this conversation, Jorge and Caitlin, that you want to share and elaborate a little bit more upon. Like, how does that touch upon your tradition or the culture where you are from or where you feel connected to Caribbean wise? Jorge, maybe you want to go first. Yeah. So this is a song uh a little bit of introduction it is uh written by Mayra Carol and Rudy Plate instantly recognize the word bundia of moru or, or the combination of moru bundia which is even better as uh, uh something that automatically transports me to wanting to be home and say that to my mom or to my community members just wishing them uh, uh to have a good day because when i'm there i am genuinely having a good day um and especially with the way that, because uh, I understood that maybe in Aruba they also use Maru. Uh, and yeah, so uh, we had like, because my partner is from also from Aruba. So we had like a little bit of discussion about this, um, but it's just the the intention of intentionally repeating the word uh, Bundia, Bundia is also for me just a way of making sure that the person knows that you are intentionally telling that person have a good day, please. For me, have a good day. So that's why it it reaches me inside. And and it was so it was just the the song that you would wake up in the morning hearing playing on the TV while you're eating breakfast. 
So that is my 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 connection. The book is called Indigenous Stories, uh, part one. <laughs> Some and somebody from my village read it, and, and it has all traditional Galinha stories in it. Okay, so I'm just gonna tell about it. And one of these stories is talking about our new year, and it talks about they navigate through the stars a lot. So they throughout their year, throughout their day, throughout their month, like to whatever role they have within the community, the stars play a very big role. So they have all these stories about how the stars came about and, and why they guide us and how did the North Star get into the sky and, and how did the Milky Way get into the sky. So they have all these beautiful stories. And then there is this one story about, I don't know how, you, how to say this in English, but the, the seven stars and they point in certain directions when they have a certain position or you can look from earth onto them in a certain position like the the wise people in the village know that the new year is going to come and so everybody gets ready for for the new year and everybody within the nation starts to to prepare their the thing they have harvest, harvested to get to get to get the food ready to get the house the house is ready and everything needs to look, look nice and all the tensions need also needs to be resolved within the village so in order to start the year in good spirit and then everybody wait for a little bird to fly over the village and when that happens that's the day when the new year has arrived. And it's, it's like this beautiful story within this book. And I love it because it, it's not how it, like, for example, the village that I'm from are not in touch with this tradition anymore like that. But it's definitely a story that is based on truth a couple of uh, generations ago. Um, and there's so much to learn from it, how you can interact when we talk about home or when we talk about places, like how you connect with your environment will that like your environment is is a body of intellect as well that you and when you connect with it it will tell you um uh it will it will tell you things like when the new year has started which is very important because then you know when to start planting again or when to like and that's how you're going to feed your children so it's so beautiful to be in touch with this intellect. So that's why I, I love this story. And we have so many stories within our within our nation and in, in the several tribes amongst them that, that carry such a wisdom. So I thought that was nice to share uh, and what the roles are. And I talk about initiation and I talk about uh, all the beautiful rituals they do in order to keep balance within within the village and amongst each other. And yeah, there's so much to learn from from it. Yeah, So much respect that goes goes from it as well so I uh, and that is that's what comforts me and I think home should be a place that comforts you so that's why I, I always like to to share these things thank you beautiful so many so many thoughts it's already time to wrap up this conversation and I feel like we just got started like we had a pre-convo <laughs> and that just tells me that our hearts I guess are connected in a good way a good dynamic with each other to be able to have these conversations together um, I'm looking at Ava do we need to add anything for the last bit or um, do you want to add anything I just want to say that I feel very represented in many ways. And by that, I mean not only that I, Guiana had stated earlier that she felt seen, but I must say that because we tend to have these conversations within our own circles, our own circle of friends, possibly our own family members, or possibly any colleagues, when you speak to other people 
who have or have not, but you come from the same background, so to speak, if I may put it that way, when we talk about being from the Caribbean in this sense um, and having the past that we have, each of course very individual and each very, every oh, everybody goes through their own trajectory. There were certain things that were said during this conversation that made me open my eyes in another way that I think, oh my goodness, this is also me. Um, there are many factors that both Jorge and Caitlin have brought forward during this conversation about themselves that I realized, oh, this is also something that I happen to feel or have happened to experience or have happened to have spoken about or have happened to reflect upon. And it's interesting because, again, Guillaume and I have this kind of conversations very often. But when you hear it from another perspective like this, it's truly something different that comes forward that makes you feel like, okay, so this is yet another layer of myself that I'm discovering. And this is through mere conversation. So it's really something very special. And I'm very grateful that we could do this. So thank you, Jorge and Caitlin, and of course, Guiana, co-host. This was very special. And this was really, truly only the beginning. Yes. Indeed, um, I, I I'm kind of at a loss for words, and that is something that I don't have that often. So I'm I'm grateful for the ability to be still after these conversations and just like process and feel. And I think that's it for now for our conversation today. And I want to thank Jorge and Caitlin for being here. And we will be adding more context, obviously, to the conversations and the storyline and online, maybe some things as well. So everyone listening at home can stay tuned for that as well. And yes, I, I just want to say thank you for everyone for listening and thank you for the conversation today Jorge and Caitlin and we will be seeing you or we will be like your auditive buddy on your <laughs> uh, podcast platform in the near future hopefully so tune in for the next episodes as well and um, yes I want to thank everyone for today I'd like to thank Mami, Ven, Guiona, Canoas di Caribe and everybody who has been immensely supportive of this project I want to thank all of the OGs back home and in the Netherlands for believing in me and in us. Mama, Steph, Rivi, Laura, Dani, Andrew. An extra big shout out to TBSI. Also an extra big shout out to Concrete Blossom, Project Diaspora, Roger. Y'all inspire me and keep me going. Also a big thank you to our team, Caribbean Ties, Museum and Mondrian Fund. The different star signs in the sky would help the Kalinya people to know how to navigate through the seasons. So when the seven stars show themselves in the sky, they know that the big drought season is coming soon. And that means that they need to start working on the land. So they break the land open and build Corialo, which is some type of a canoe. And they built the new camps. Everything is getting prepared within three days for a big celebration and to welcome the new year. So you would see smoky clouds above the forest from the burning of the land. And it would be very hot. And in the evening, late at night, Everybody would listen very carefully. The seven stars had already shown themselves in the sky. And now they are only waiting on the little tiny bird to fly over the village.
thank you for tuning in. And we'll be right back around with the next episode soon.